Kidding aside, uh, any evangelist comes in, no pastor can out-preach an evangelist. That's the will of God. Because poor pastor's coming up with four new messages every week keep you alive. Evangelist floats in, you know, with about 12 sermons all we have. And we're tweaking them for decades sometimes. You know what I mean? And that, if you ever have an evangelist bomb out one time, cut them off. You can't trust them. I mean, how, do you, how could you mess up? You know, I'm preaching the same sermon forever. My wife hates to travel with me because she's sick of the same sermons she says I have. So, uh, but, you know, so a normal evangelist can help you, but uh, I have a leg up on, on most normal evangelists only because I, I'm, a, I'm a writer. And so I have all this material out there, which is much more important than anything I'll preach to you because it'll keep on feeding you. So, uh, and, and listen, the new book I have is so important. I, I mean, I'd be depressed if I found out you have it and haven't tried to read it. It's only 400 pages. I got two 900-page books out there. There's only, even on the cover it says, very few big words in this volume, right there. <laughs> trying to, what kind of a serious author is going to say something like that trying to impress you about himself? I'm not trying to impress you. What do you think I tell you all these stupid jokes all the time for? That's just to hold your attention, by the way. <clears throat> but I was in Canada, in Montreal, a couple months ago. Two converted mafia guys sitting right out in the crowd for real, pushing heroin all over Canada. They liked the preacher, Peter Kuriopoulos. His nickname was Peter the Pitchfork. He told me that before he got saved, you know, fighting off the Haitians with his drug deals going down. <laughs> He's wild. But these two Italian hitmen, uh, they weren't hitmen necessarily, but they were wise guys. And anyway, so I'm telling my Italian jokes very delicately up there. So I told this one, you know, uh, what's a good Italian, a four-letter Italian word for goodbye? And everybody thinks it's chow, right? But it's the punch word is, uh, is uh, bang, you know? <laughs> well, the one guy corrected me. He told the pastor, I mean, afterwards, he said, that Dr. Grady's pretty cool, but he got that punchline wrong. He said, it's never bang. It's always minimum bang, bang, sometimes bang, bang, bang. How could you make up something like that? The other one's crazier than him. Pastor told me he was trying to teach him the Old Testament you know, sacrifice system. I chopped the animals up and sometimes the blood splatters on the priest's vestments, you know. The other one said, that's why we always use plastic. <laughs> the pastor told me that. Peter Kariopoulos, how are you going to make up something like that? But I do all that to hold your attention, but all kidding aside, my material, I have people telling me, they're looking, reading these big 900-page jokes and I mean, these big 900-page books, and they hear my Italian jokes in their brain. That's just so you can get calmed down. I mean, the, the books aren't that hard to read if you want to learn something. But the new book is on perilous times and what's happening in America tonight. And you really need to get this book and read it. And if you don't, and you ought to get these for people you know. You know, the Lord finally impressed me to write a book for unsaved people. I'm working on that for a month. It's called, What Must I Do to Be Saved? And it's only like 75 to 100 pages of my text, that's all. And then the Gospel of John and Romans in the back. And uh, the same artist that painted this beautiful painting of uh, <clears throat> the shipwreck in Acts 27, same Christian artist is painting Acts 16. I've already got the, the, picture, you know, the proof of Paul and Silas stopping that jailer from killing himself. It's dramatic. So, you know, pictures impress people. So you think about that. <clears throat> it's not going to be a book you pass out in the bus stop. It's going to be a book you give to somebody that you're witnessing to already that knows you. They're going to look at it with a flashlight under the blankets when nobody's looking at them. And we'll see if the Lord can get a few people saved. 
So, but anyway, that's what I do. So don't, don't fail to take advantage of those books out there so you can learn some things. And uh, they're $20 a piece out there on the table. I mean, again, I've sold a lot of them here, so most of you have them. But uh, I, I, they're three for 50. You know, you can sell your mother for $20. Everything's $19.95 on cable TV, if you haven't noticed that. Preacher, if I dropped my book to 15 bucks, I wouldn't sell as many as if I sell them for 20. And uh, where's that friend of mine? I, I call him Rasputin, the guy that prayed over here at the offering. I call him Rasputin. He bought a book for me this morning. He bought a bunch last time. I like that guy. There he is right there. So uh, be sure to get some, okay? Look, I, I take a debit card. I take somebody else's debit card if you got it. <laughs> Bad checks. I don't care what you have. I was in Oklahoma in a parking lot service in 2020, Oklahoma City. Guy got out of his car, walked up, handed me a $20 bill, shook my hand, you know. I went inside the pastor said, that's my father visiting. Did he tell you he's got bad COVID? No, he didn't tell me he had bad COVID. What'd you do? I got back to my uh, motel room, put all the cash out on the table in the bathroom. How many ever heard of money laundering? Say amen right there. <laughs> all right, so I'll take anything you got. Okay, with all that ha having been said, uh, turn in your Bibles to Job. Oh, no, pardon me, Malachi. Or if you're an Italian, in book, book of Malachi. The Malachi Papers, you ever see that? An old black preacher one time said he's going to preach one sermon from genocide to revolution, amen. <clears throat> this is Book of Malachi, Malachi, whatever you want to call it. And I uh, hope you come back tonight. Most of you will be here. You know, I'm going to speak a, a, a strange message God gave me after our son went to heaven three days after Christmas. And I'm going to, uh, it's going to be called Three Mistakes Christians Often Make When Grieving. And I know it'll help you because I keep getting the feedback from the message. So try to be here tonight. And you got your Bible open to Malachi. Uh, why don't we stand for one verse? It's Father's Day. Well, let's think about our Heavenly Father. When you pray, pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven. This is, this is God's Father's Day text. One verse. Verse number six. A son... Honoreth his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? Your earthly father is mighty important to you, but not nearly as important as your heavenly father. He's your pattern to get you ready to, to worship your heavenly father. Bible says the glory of children are their fathers. No, no man in here ever grew up saying my mother to his little friends in the playground, my mother can wash dishes better than your mother. My dad can lick your dad. Fathers, that's why you're commanded not to uh, foul your little kid's brain up. Provoke not your children to wrath, lest they be discouraged. They don't think you can do anything wrong. You mess up, apologize to them. That'll grow your esteem in their little eyes even. But God's wanting the honor because you're supposed to point your children to the real Heavenly Father. And He wants to know where His honor is today. Father, I pray that You'll bless us. I sure do appreciate anywhere I'm in Jersey and New York. I think of the pit You pulled me out of. I always think of the Scripture, Lord, and Job, I quote it to You all the time. I alone only am escaped. To tell Thee, I'm so thankful You let me escape. And all these good people in here this morning surrounded by crazy people and 
drugs and alcohol and perversion and whack-out governor and God-hating culture, and yet you've saved every one of these folks here by the same blood. And we're, we love you for that. And help us to be sensitive now on Father's Day to speak to our hearts. Pray you'll bless the pastor and his wife, the burden they're carrying for their daughter. And uh, this couple I spoke to this morning in the lobby who lost their son a few years ago and all the others that are here, similar burdens. Father, speak to our hearts now. We'll thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Let me ask you three quick questions like a sore of the Lord drill. Ready? I, you know, things are pretty whacked out out in the world now. Would you agree? A black preacher I knew used to have a sermon called Chaos in the Cosmos. Another one I had, a friend of mine used to preach on the, the subject, you may be saved down here, but you ain't necessarily safe down here. We know it's crazy out there, so I'm going to ask you three quick questions about that. How many of you think, huh? You can't hear? Turn your hearing aid up. No, just kidding. Hello? Crazy thing is on. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, how many of you folks think that God knows what's going on? Raise your hand. All right, put your hands down. How many of you know God? Raise your hand. All right, put your hands down. How many of you know what's going on? Ha, <laughs> ha. I trust them as far as I could throw them. How come you didn't raise your hand? I didn't ask you what the date of the rapture was. Now, I quoted the last time I was here that incredible verse from Job. Why, seeing times are not hidden from the Almighty, do they that know him not see his days? If it, like the black preacher preached, if it, did it ever occur to you that nothing occurs to God, if he knows what's going on and you know him, I don't, why don't you know what's going on? You know, it's getting pretty whacked out out there. I preach in Las Vegas every summer for... Um, Pastor Service, Mitch Service there in Bible Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Did you hear the 911 call the other day? Guy called into the police, eight, nine, ten foot giants walking around his backyard with eyeballs about that big, something landed in his backyard. Do you, you see the police dash cam of all the blinking lights in the sky and the policemen talking to themselves? Ha! Huh? Did you read that uh, article from Fox News when they interviewed the top, the top man in Space Force, top UFO man, who said there's no doubt at least one mothership in our area of the, of the universe right now? Did you read that? Did you read that whistleblower from Space Force that said we've, the government has at least a dozen spacecraft now? No, I'm just telling you, that's the stuff the, the government's releasing when everybody used to laugh at that stuff. I was in Roswell, New Mexico one time, passing through, going to Albuquerque to preach. And I was talking to my wife on the phone. The phone started blinking on and off. <laughs> Just put that thing down. Listen, the, uh, the guy a lot of people thought was the Antichrist until he died, Peter Ruckman. He, he used to say, don't be surprised if the, U, if the, if the Antichrist steps off a UFO. Yeah. Uh, anything's ha anything can happen. Why did you say that? Well, I don't know. What does Acts chapter 1 say in verse 8? Where the angels say, This same Jesus which is taken from you shall so come in like manner as you saw him leave, basically. He took off through space. I mean, that would be a pretty good... We're going to need somebody to explain the rapture, right? I mean, anything can happen. Point is, something's happening. 
Do you have any idea how crazy times are now? Are you still goofing off in your Christianity? Are you still won't be here tonight or Wednesday night for the good church here trying to help you and serve the community, reach the gospel? Are you a faithful Christian? Are you bold? Are you just here? Accident waiting to happen. You can't do that anymore. The world's coming to an end. Duh! Do you know where Oliver Green, Bob Jones Sr., and Harold Seitler are buried? Greenville, South Carolina. You know the first Baptist church in Greenville just had a big old pride festival the other day? I didn't say the, the United Methodist Church. They're the first Baptist church. We know that most of the time they're liberal churches too. But hello! Jack Hiles used to say there's three kinds of people in the world. First group of people makes things happen. The second group of people watch things happen. The third group of people don't know what's happening. I've been in 300 churches in the last three years. I see a lot of wackos, Baptist salute people. They don't realize the world's coming to an end. First, don't turn to it. First Chronicles 20, 12, 32, the children of Issachar were commended for being men of understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. The theme for this morning, Sunday school lesson started out Blending into today now is boldness, biblical boldness, signs of the times. You know what's going on right now? You all know what happened 75 years ago last month? That Bible you're holding talks about one day a nation will be born in a day. Do you realize May 14th <coughs> at midnight was the 75th anniversary of the apple of God's eye coming into existence? Now I'm not one of these... Rightly dividing independent Baptist, King James only people that's off the, off the deep end with the, with the Jews. You know what I mean? Cra crazy Paula White who supposedly led Trump to the Lord. And whack out, uh, what's his name? It was a whack job. Uh, uh, no, not Biden. <laughs> Biden. Uh, what's his name? That Texas, John Hagee. All that pro-Israel crowd that tells the Jews they don't need to be born again. Somebody should have got Paul some of Hagee's material. He could have saved himself a bunch of wax on the head in the synagogue. Right? And, and, and you know those con job missionaries for, with Israel works. To the Jew first, you've got to support us before you support other missionaries. But I'll tell you, neighbor, you better be interested in what's going on over there. It could save your life or it could extend your life. You buy my book on Israel, 900 pages, 18,000 hours of work. You buy that book, you might live longer. Isn't that, how's that for a cheap infomercial plug? Would you, would you like a scripture, though, to go with it? Ha, ha. Teach us how to pray, Jesus. Okay, get your notebooks out. I'm not going to give you the Lord's Prayer because I never sinned, you know what I mean? This is a model prayer for you dudes. Ready? When you pray, pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, give us our daily bread. Is that what he said? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us our daily bread. Huh? That's how we pray. That's why that expression says fools rush in. 
No, the Lord try to help you get more prayers answered if anybody's interested. When you pray, pray this way. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right now, whackouts running things. He, Satan's the god of this world. Chaos out here. One day, because you're letting him do it. But one day, you're going to put him in his place. And you've got to take control of this nut house. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Got that? Give us our day, our daily bread. You don't ask God for anything until you've done two things. Told him how wonderful he was. And then reassuring him that you're on the same page with him. That his agenda is your agenda. You know, like pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Uh, what's that guy do with me living longer? I don't know. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. You ever read that? You remember who, what Paul said was the last enemy you'll face? Death. Wouldn't you like to live longer? I imagine God would be pleased if he knew you gave a flip about what he's doing. I got, I got a sequence of four books out there. Again, 90% of you are familiar with most all the books, but what if God wrought is how God set the country up. How Satan turned America against God is how the devil destroyed the country. And then Israel now, that's the only game in town because America's on the way out. And the new book is how to survive what's going on and what's coming. That Jew exercised a lot of boldness in 1948. At midnight, his nation came into existence. And everybody's out in the streets dancing, you know, the Jewish folk dances. I got pictures in the book about it. They stopped dancing about 1230 when the first bombs started dropping from the Egyptian plains. They're attacked by five armies. Lebanon, every time I'm here, I, if I turn around, I know what you're thinking. That's just to hold your attention. Give me a break. Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Jordan, and Egypt down from the south, converged on that little nation no bigger than the state of New Jersey. You remember when I was here the, a few years ago when I preached that main message on Israel? We talked about Colonel Mickey Marcus, the man that uh, the movie Cast a Giant Shadow. Uh, Kirk Douglas plays that role about that Jewish American colonel that went to Israel uh, incognito, fake passport in order to organize the Jews for that war. He was killed one week ago today by his own sentry. The film brings all that out. He's buried in your state. You should be interested. He's buried in West Point. Seventy-five years ago today, those Jews who were in their first ceasefire, the United Nations stopped everything because they're whipping the snot out of those Arabs, and they, they jumped in and stopped everything. So they'll resume fighting in the middle of July. About another month, they'll white, you know, wrap it all up. But God took them through that. Took a lot of boldness. It wasn't five armies to one army. It was five armies to nothing. They weren't even allowed to carry guns individually to protect themselves. The British favored the, the Arabs like crazy. Hated the Jews. If you watch Lawrence of Arabia won 14 Academy Awards, you'll see all that. 
those crazy uh, British, they were sucked in by those Arabs. They liked all this stuff. <laughs> and the Jews were like that all the time in their face. I've read that 10 times. I mean, that's absolute cultural reality. Now, the greatest illustration in the Bible for, for boldness, for biblical boldness, is in the book of Esther. Most of you should realize that. Turn to Esther, chapter number 1. And I'm going to uh, review this for a moment about Esther. And then I'm going to give you the greatest illustration in 20th century history of the very same thing. And how all this ties in to Israel and her relationship with her father. They're, I mean, he, they're messed up right now and God's going to restore all that, isn't he, one day? But look at Esther chapter 1. Esther is, a, uh, again, if you have a, a, a church that's being blessed, you're going to have new people coming, periodically at least. You're going to have new people saved. So, you know, there's always a mixed mass of who's out there and who knows what. But uh, the book of Esther is a, is a very unusual book for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's, the, it's one of only two books named after a woman, with Ruth being the other one, of course. And uh, it's a story about two women, Ruth and Vashti. But uh, mo most uniquely, some of you may not even know this, the name of God does not appear in the book. Now, there's only one other book that's like that. And I'm going to cover the two men responsible for my love offering. Say amen right there. Uh, the pastor and his, uh, and his uh, coach over here. Because I know they know the answers, and their wives definitely know it. But how, are the rest of you normal human beings? There's one more book in the Bible that doesn't mention God's name. Does anybody know? I, I mean, I, I had to look it up because I forgot which one it was, all right? The Great Dr. Brady. How many, any of you think you know what it is? What about my friend over here, Rasputin? He got it right. Song of Solomon. Very good. Give him two pens. <laughs> okay. Now, this is so good, I can't believe it. You know, you go, uh, the book of Esther is the greatest Old Testament book to picture the rapture of the church in, in symbolism. Uh, again, I, this is a strong King James only Bible-believing church. I go all kind of church. I go camp meeting churches, man fundamentalist works, and they're good to me, and they're nice people, but they hardly ever learn anything. They really don't. That's just the way it is. So you're spoiled here in a real good way. I almost hesitated to cover this because you probably already know it, but again, the preachers can't teach you everything. <coughs> but, <coughs> but lots of independent Baptist churches are being taught they're going to go into tribulation period now. They're mid-trib raptures and post-trib raptures. They didn't used to believe that, right? There's a, you know, so this, things are breaking down now. But the way you can know that that's not accurate is, is this. In the King James Bible, the Old Testament, well, first of all, the Old Testament started out with the Jews. You know, they gave us the, uh, the, the, the sacred scriptures, Romans says, right? And they're, the 39, they, of course, they don't have a New Testament, right? But their, their, their Old Testament does not have 39 books in it. They have the same 39 books that we have, but they've compressed like Kings. First and Second Kings are one book. 
First and Second Chronicles, one book. Ezra and Nehemiah is one book, just like that. And they break down to uh, 24 books containing the exact same material. But the key is the order of their books is totally different than the order that's in the King James Bible. When God put that book together on your lap, he did it in a unique, miraculous way. He even altered the arrangement of the books because the arrangement of the books will show you that you don't go into the tribulation period. Now again, you'll get this certainly in the Bible Institute class, but you may have had it in a church service. Let me show it to you real quick. I'm just going to give you the last 12 books of the, of the Hebrew Bible. It's called the Tanakh. That's what they call the Bible, the Tanakh. Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Tanakh, the whole, the whole 22 books, right? Here's the last 12 books. Watch the order. Stand out in your brain. Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Song of Solomon, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Esther, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles. So the book we're looking at now, Esther, is sandwiched between Ecclesiastes and Daniel. So, okay, in your King James Bible, look at the seven books in sequence. Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, and Proverbs. See those seven books? That's your best ticket to realize we're getting out of here someday soon. And we're not going into the time of Jacob's trouble. We're getting out of here. I have a chapter on the rapture in my new book. Second chapter is called The Trumpets Out of the Case. We're blowing out of here, son. Don't buy any cemetery plots on cash. Put them on time payments. Stretch them out as far as you can. I'm serious as a heart attack. How many of you want to go up with the upper taker over the undertaker? Well, what's those seven books got to do with anything? No problem. Those seven books prophesy seven different historical events that are coming down the pike. You ought to want to know about this stuff. For instance, in 2 Chronicles, you have the destruction of the temple in 586 B.C. That's a forecast of the temple being destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans. The next book is Ezra. Well, after the Romans destroy the uh, temple, the Jews are scattered all around the world, aren't they? What happens after... Uh, what happens in the book of Ezra? You have, a, you have a Persian king deciding the Jews can go back to their land with an official proclamation. You know what happens in 1917? Another Gentile ruler, King George V, issues something called the Balfour Declaration. I have a whole section in my book on Israel about it, saying that the Jews can now return to Palestine. Britain has influence over Palestine. What comes next? The book of Nehemiah. That's when all those Jews go back there with Nehemiah to rebuild the walls and raise the community back up again. Well, after the Balfour Declaration was issued in 1917, you got a guy named Theodore Herzl, who becomes the leader of Zionism, which was the political movement for the Jews around the world to begin coming back to Palestine, making the deserts bloom again, right? Well, what comes after, what comes after, after the book of Nehemiah? The book of Esther. Because the whole time from 1917, you know, and, and, and then uh, when the Jews are returning back to their land, the Church of Jesus Christ is transitioning from the Philadelphia Church Age into the Laodicean 20th century mess. And all of a sudden, the Christians are starting to become as worthless as a piece of dental floss in a Willie Nelson concert. Say amen right there. 
And every verse in the Bible that deals with the end is negative. You should know that. When the Son of Man returns, shall he find faith on the earth? As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. As it was in the days of Lot, hello, Pride Month. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. The time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine. Everything you got, Laodicea in church age, makes God throw up. Read it. You're neither cold nor hot. You make me vomit, he said. That's, what we, that's how impressive we are up there to God. So what do you got in the book of Esther then? Well, you got a Gentile king, an Oriental king, potentate, like Timothy calls God. He's got him a wife named Vashti. The name means beautiful. The church of Jesus Christ, we're his bride. We're beautiful. We've Collectively, the, whole, the bride's always been beautiful to the Lord. But boy, those garments start getting messed up in that last generation. And Vashti is a picture of all of us collectively. The body of Christ in the last days. Now I know some of us and many of us are trying to please the Lord. But you know how most of, them are, most of the saved people tonight are worthless. They are. I see them every day. So Vashti is told by the king's, you know, people, you know, you gotta, the king wants her to come into a big banquet because she's so pretty. He wants everybody to see her. That's scriptural. For, for, for Jack House used to say she refused to get naked. You know, they always messed the Bible up. Vashti was a hero, Brother House taught us. You knew you had that one wrong. Would you like a scripture for what I just said? 1 Corinthians 11, the wife is the glory of the man. Every man shows his wife off. You know, remember Al Capone with his girlfriend on the arm with the mink coat? I, you, know why, you know why my brother went to Sing Sing for three years? Because the guy was messing around with his wife. Chased him through the streets with a pistol, shot him on the front steps of a police station in Brooklyn. Want a scripture for that? Jealousy is the rage of a man. Thank you. So he wanted to show her off. And you know what she said? Forget about it. I'm not coming in. Ain't that something? And all the men in the realm went nuts when they heard about it. King, you got to do something about your wife. She gets away with this. Our wives won't listen to us. Read chapter one. Tell me that King James Bible doesn't deal with human nature in real life. And so I heard of a preacher one time who preached a sermon called uh, When God Judged the Beauty Contest. That was the title of the sermon. And so they decide to send messengers around the empire to look for a beautiful replacement for Vashti. And Esther's the one that's picked, right? Now the funny part about the story is that nobody knows Esther's a Jew, and her, especially her, her uncle Mordecai. You should know something about Jews. They go into assimilation. They, you know, they hide their Jewishness a lot of times, especially in celebrity work. Used to be anyway, right? Remember, remember uh, Lauren Green from Bonanza? Ben Cartwright? He's a Jew, man. Little Joe from, not Kokomo, that's another one. Little Joe over there from Little House on the Prairie. Bonanza, he's a Jew. Edward G. Robinson, Italian gangster. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, in one movie, he's died in the streets praying to the Virgin Mary. He's a Jew. You know what the crazy, Kirk Douglas, cast a giant shadow. Kirk Douglas' Hebrew name is as long as your, you know, your pulpit there. You couldn't pronounce it if you had to. 
My favorite one was Crazy Goober from Andy Griffith's show, Redneck, North Carolina, Hillbilly uh, uh, Mechanic. George Lindsay, Jewish as Moses. You would never know that or think that unless you dug it up. Well, Esther and all those Jews that are left over from the captivity, you know, a Persian king, let them, Cyrus, let them go back to their land, but 10% went back, maybe 5%. The rest of them stayed back running their pawn shops and their car lots. They didn't want to go. So the rest of them stayed there and kind of played low-key deal. And, you know, the, the empire tolerated them. But most of the time, they try to be under the radar. Here's Esther gets picked to be the queen of the empire, and they don't even know she's a Jew. It's a true story. But here, here, here's a very cool thing. What's the name of that thing? Like in Branson, Missouri, sound and sight and sound. And I went. I preached there five times a year in the same church I mentioned Sunday school. And they took me out to see that. My wife was with me to see the Esther one. And you know. I mean, the play isn't five minutes old when Vashti gets the boot and they have her up on a cable, you know. She like leaves the, stat like she disappears off the platform, look, whoosh, right over our heads. Dramatic. But try finding her name in chapters 2 through 10. She's gone. Like the word church disappears after Revelation 4 until the end of the book. Esther, Vashti's gone with the wind. You know what that's a picture? That's the rapture of the church. His bride's taken out. And you know what he does? He turns, God turns. How many of you know God the Father and Jesus are the same? You know, I mean, three in one, you know. Jesus is married to, look, Vashti, and she won't listen to him anymore. Second Timothy 3 and 4. So God's forget about it. She's out. And God, the Father, and his relationship with his wife kicks in. Jehovah is the wife of Israel. You ever read that in the Old Testament? And they're currently divorced, but guess what? They're going to get remarried. That's what Hosea and Jeremiah says. You want to see a nugget and a half? Look at, look at Esther 1. And look over here at verse, this is amazing. Look at verse, you all know the relationship between the Jew and the Gentile, according to Romans. Remember it says, look here, I'm going to re resurrect this thing, Mike again. Somebody said that Judaism is the stalk, look, on which the rose of Christianity bloomed. That's a beautiful quote. Remember, Israel is the, Israel is the natural olive tree. And who are we? We're the wild olive branches that are grafted in, aren't we? But this is the tree, right? You want to see that sitting right here under your nose? One verse. Verse 19. If it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, that it be not altered, that Vashti come no more before King Ahasuerus. She's going to disappear at the rapture. And let the king give her royal estate until another, right? Man, what's the rest of the verse say? That is what? Better than she. Ain't that something, neighbor? So, what, so what's the deal? So Vashti gets elected. She comes into the kingdom there as the new wife. Her uncle Mordecai says, whatever you do, don't tell anybody you're a Jew. She was a man. She couldn't, Mordecai's got that nose hanging out of here. I told uh, Sam Cohen, the inventor of the neutron bomb, wrote that afterward for my 
what, how Satan turned America against God. Book. He, believe it or not, that guy called my house once a, once a week for seven years, I promise you, just to chat. I had, an, I, had, I had his ear, man. I gave him more scripture over seven years. We used to tell Jewish jokes, though, most of the time. One time I told him, I said, Sam, I got a real bad one for you. You're going to get mad at me for this one. Hell, Bill, I can never be mad at you. I said, okay, I warned you. Here goes. I said, how come Jews have big noses? He said, why? I said, because air is free. Amen. <laughs> said, did it get mad at you? No, he wasn't like some of you nuts. He was too old to be politically correct. He, he almost died laughing. He said, I'll give you one better than that. What's a real Jewish dilemma? I said, what? He said, a free ham sandwich. <laughs> so Esther's real beautiful. She, she's able to sneak in there as the queen, but she's a Jew, right? Well, her uncle becomes very famous there with the king. He likes him, Mordecai, and he's rising in power. In the meantime, the, the bad guy in the story, Haman, right? He's a descendant of this Agai. I can never pronounce that thinking word right, but one of the major Old Testament enemies of Israel. And he hates the Jews, you know, and he's real jealous of Mordecai. So finally, you know, the way Satan is leading these perverts, you know the story. He comes to uh, King Ahasuerus, who's really supposed to be Xerxes the one they think in secular history, because Ahasuerus is a Bible name that's not in secular history. But anyway, he comes to the Ahasuerus, and he, and he just fill, he lies to him. He said, there's a bunch of people in your realm, you know, our, our, our CIA, we figured it out. They're after you. They're going to overthrow the empire. Just a bunch of propaganda. But if you let me, uh, I'll take care of them. I'll wipe them all out, and I'll even fund it out of my own treasury. King says, ah, that sounds like a good deal. So he puts his stamp, his ring, you know, and uh, makes a decree, wipe all them people out as uh, Haman leads the operation, right? Now, what he doesn't know is that they're, that they're the Jews. Because he didn't tell, he didn't tell uh, uh, the king that they were Jews. He kept that private. Now look at chapter 3 real quick. Here's the key verse of the whole sermon this morning. And uh, th they meet together at verse 12, Haman and his little wicked group, right? Verse 3, they're going, to, they're going to start the process. It's going to take one year for the word to spread throughout the whole Persian Empire to wipe out all the Jews that are in the, in the Persian Empire. So they're, going to, they're, they're organizing right here. Verse 12, Then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded under the king's lieutenants and to the governors that were over every province, and to the rulers of every people of every province, according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language. In the name of King Ahasuerus was it written, and sealed with the king's ring. Now here's the key verse of the whole message. And the letters were sent by posts. Guns don't kill people. Postal workers kill people. You understand? Into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews both young and old, little children and women, and one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, and to take the spoil of them for a prey, right? All right. Now, go to chapter, uh, keep your, your page there, look right across the page in chapter 4. So Mordecai finds out about this. He's flipping out, of course, because he's a Jew. He's going to get killed, you know, and of course Esther's in danger. And so she, he runs to his, uh, his niece and tells her, you've got to warn your husband, man. 
And she backs off. She said, wait a minute, I can't go in to see him. I might get killed because they had protocol. You can't come in to see the king unless you're called in. And he had, I don't think she had seen him for about a month. And uh, so Mordecai is prevailing on it. You've got to do it. Now look at verse um, tw- 13, chapter 4. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to, to the Jews from another place. Isn't that an amazing verse? You won't do your part. God will get his work done or you somebody else. But in the immediate time, you're going to get wiped out. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. Here's that great verse we've always heard. Look at it. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Isn't it amazing how God sent Dr. Ruckman to the church in the end of the 20th century, stabilized so many of us to know the Bible better for what's coming. God's got a purpose for his people, including you out there. I don't care how insignificant you might think you are. Don't ever think that way. Remember, this is a Baptist church. There's no clergy and lady here. We're all the same. You're messed up and we're messed up. We're not as messed up as you. But we're still messed up. (laughs) Verse 15, Then Esther made them return Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present at Shushan. I love this preacher. It is precious. And fast ye from me. This is a woman that's fixing to get bold for her people. She knows she can't do it without God. And neither eat nor drink these three days, night or day. I had 1,200 copies of Final Authority delivered to my house a month, three weeks ago. That's the 16th printing of that book. came out 30 years ago. I'm not lifting myself up. Hello. Paul told Timothy, be an example to the believers. We ought to practice what we're preaching to you. I fasted 40 days before that book came out. It's still selling. It never stopped selling. 30 years later. Bible could be true. I'm telling you, neighbor, that book could be true. Hello, neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also, my maidens, will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king. There's that boldness I'm preaching about. Which is not according to the law. I'll take my life in my hands. Now what's the rest of the verse say? And if I perish, I perish. Ain't that a quote? Paul said, I'm ready to go to Jerusalem. I'm ready to die if I have to for the Lord. What's your courage level like out there? I hate to pick on you men, but it's good to see men in church. But sometimes you just hear and that's it. That's no way to be. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Didn't say a preacher, said a man. God must really like your founding pastor here because of the man he sent to replace him. Most preachers, when they turn a church over, they go nuts because they got a dipstick for a guy that comes in behind them. 100% vote? That had to be rigged. <laughs> Nobody gets 100%. Jesus had one devil in his group. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. So what does, what does Esther do? Chapter 5. What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? Chapter 5, verse 1. Hey, 
Don't pass out when you see this little English nugget sitting here. Now it came to pass on the what day? Yeah, she's getting dressed and going to go in on the third day. What did Peter tell you about God's timetable? A thousand years with the Lord is like... Vashti just disappeared, didn't she? It's the end of the church age. How many years in the church age, roughly? Two thousand? Two days? That's behind. We're going into that third day now, tribulation at millennium. A millennium will be the third day since the church age started, seventh day since God showed up. I mean, since the world was created, 7,000 years. You all getting this, young people? That Bible is more important than that stupid phone. Moses was downloading data from a cloud on his tablets a long time before Bill Gates had his first diaper changed. Don't get too impressed with these stupid things. We're not ignorant of his devices, lest Satan get an advantage over us. Four days in the Old Testament, 4,000 years. 2,000 years in the church age, two days. Four days, two days, six days. One day left, 1,000 year of millennium. We're getting out of here pretty soon. Start getting excited, man. Chapter 5, verse 1, Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house. That's where she was not about to be unless you're called in there. I guarantee you her knees were knocking. Say amen right there. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. And it was so when the king saw Esther, the queen standing in the court, his eyeballs fell out of his head. That she obtained favor in his sight. Esther means star. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. That meant you're going to live, see? So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. And then she said, he says, what, what do you want, baby? You know? <laughs> I forgot how pretty you are since I've been out here for a month goofing off. And then she tells him she'd like to have a little banquet and she's going to fill him in at the banquet. Then they have a banquet and she tells him about the plot. And uh, he goes nuts. He, and first of all, he says, by the way, the only way to understand what I'm about to tell you is you've got to know I'm a Jew, first of all. <laughs> what? You know, Jesus saves him, but Moses invests. Holy, you're what? But she's so beautiful, you know, what can you do? And then she tells him, and so this is the Bill Grady paraphrase. You know, there's a real bad guy you got working for you, and he's going to wipe out all the Jews in the empire, including me and Mordecai. I know you like Mordecai. Well, he goes crazy. Who in the world would do that? Haman. Remember that? Meantime, Haman had the gallows built to hang Mordecai. What happens to Haman? <laughs> and then the king appoints Mordecai as Haman's successor, and they're able to put a letter out along the empire. They can't reverse the first one. But they basically let the word out that the king likes the Jews. So kill them if you want, but you might regret it later. And the Jews can fight back, and I'm for you. Right? You know the rest of the story, and the empire is saved, right? You know how you can sum this whole thing up between Vashti and Esther? Vashti refused to come in. Esther refused to stay out. I'm coming in. Put me in, coach. Going in, coach. She saved them with her boldness. Isn't that a beautiful story? And so what's that got to do with the rapture and all that stuff you were telling us a minute ago? The book of Job is the number one book in the Old Testament the preachers can tell you to picture the tribulation period. 
42 chapters in Job, 42 months in the Great Tribulation. Uh, Job is on, on the earth, seven days persecuted by his friends, seven days, seven year tribulation period. Mer his friends turn on him. America's going to turn on the Jews. Everybody will turn on the Jews. And all the way th at the end of the book, it says, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job. You look that phrase up, turn the captivity, all through the Old Testament. It's always relating to the Jews being right, right with God at the end. He retur they return to him. It's a great phrase. But they can tell you that later. The book of uh, Psalms pictures the millennium that follows the tribulation period. The kingdom with David, David's type on the throne, the Lord Jesus. And then Solomon, uh, the Lord teaching the world the wisdom of Solomon and the wisdom of God. It's a beautiful sequence. See those seven books? Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. Psalms, Proverbs. So pre-tribulation rapture, find Esther right in front of the book of Job. We go out before that terrible tribulation starts. That's just sitting in the Old Testament and you're looking at it. This is so boring. Sorry, it's not boring. All right, now all that to say this. I'm going to end this message with the, one of the most interesting things you've ever heard. God just gave me this message last Memorial Day. I preached it, I preached it four times since Memorial Day, and this is like the fifth time. It's brand new, but it's absolutely mind-blowing, okay? I want to tell you about another Jew who entered the presence of another Gentile power broker in order to save his people. And it happened in the lifetime of some of the people sitting in this room. I mentioned when I was born, Harry Truman was having Thanksgiving dinner in the White House. I've, had, I've lived through 13 presidents and one residence. Amen right there. <laughs> Don't forget, Jill Biden, was, Jill Biden was my customer in 1972. I got the proof out there. Got the picture of that bar she owned that I sold those crazy cash registers to. You couldn't make this stuff. I make up some stuff. Most of the stuff I don't. But that's a true story. So I'm out in uh, Independence, Missouri, a year or two ago, preaching. And I visited Harry Truman's uh, library and his house, which is like a museum, right? So I'm walking through the house, Pastor, with a guide and uh, the preacher that I'm with and about 10 other people, you know, walking in there, a little tour group. And we're walking. <laughs> we go in the living room of Truman's house and... The guide goes into explaining all the famous people that have been in there. Celebrities and political people. John Wayne, you know, the president of France, all this stuff. And then I asked him a question. I, I, North Carolina, they say, I don't want to be ugly. I wasn't trying to be ugly, but I, I like a controversy once more for the right reasons. I knew the answer to my question. Just, I just thought of a joke. Talk about, you know, Yiddish uh, chutzpah. You all, you all know what chutzpah means. Only a Jew can do it. A little old lady comes into a delicatessen with the, you know, the glass case and all the meat. Thousand people in there with numbers in her hand. Take a number, right? <laughs> she comes in with an umbrella under her arm, little thing over her head. Excuse me. Pardon me. Excuse me. It works away all the way up to the front of the glass case. The guy says, who's next? She says, I am. She don't have any ticket. That's chutzpah. This is the day we're talking about Israel. The other great example is the little kid who just killed his parents. 12-year-old kid, he's standing in front of the judge, and the judge says, you have anything to say before we uh, give you a formal sentence? Kid drops down on his knees and says, 
Have mercy on me. I'm an orphan. <laughs> See, only a Jew can do that. So I'm in there and I raise my hand. She says, yes, sir. I said, um, did Eddie Jacobson ever get entertained here in the house here? Uh, I didn't know who Eddie Jacobson was until I started researching that Israel book. The guy bowed his head. Not even bowed it. You know, just kind of like caught him off guard to question. And he said, uh, no, he, he was never here. Well, who in the world is Eddie Jacobson? He was Truman's best friend through life, starting in World War I. They served together. Truman was a corporal in artillery brigade. And Eddie Jacobson was his friend. They got through the war together. And then they opened up a hat store, a haberdashery. Remember that old word? They're in uh, Independence, Missouri, partners. Thing went under during the Depression, you know. They went bankrupt. They, they've maintained friendship their whole life, going hunting together, having meals, right? Best friends. You say, uh, how come he, he lived in Independence? How come he was never in Truman's house? Everybody and their grandmother was in there. Well, here's the reason, look. Here's the dining room over, I mean, here's the living room here, right? Have any of you ever been to Truman's house? Anybody, anybody give a flip? Raise your hand. <laughs> right next to the living room is the, is the formal dining room. See, I mean, he's in the White House as the president. He'd come home on holidays. You know how they'll live in both places. And then after he's president, he's still very famous. My dad shook his hand ten times, he said. He used to, his daughter lived in New York City, and Truman would visit her all the time. And my dad would always meet him you know, after he's president. My dad's opinion of Harry Truman was he probably never stole a postage stamp out of the White House. He was so honest. Such a rare political animal, right? So right next to the living room is the big dining room. I mean, big dining room table. You know how the formal dining room table? You know how most dining room tables have a head chair, the head of the table? This one had two head table chairs, one here and one over there. President of the free world sat here. The leader of the free world, the president, sat here. His mother-in-law sat over here. <laughs> you know one of the funniest songs in the history of the world, I think, is a song called Mother-in-Law. Remember that from the 1950s? That yeah, mother in Satan should be her name, mother-in-law. That is a funny song. If you're, if you're happy, tell your face, will you? Her name was Madge Wallace. All right, just for that, I'm going to tell you Jack Howe's favorite mother-in-law joke. He said this guy's in the funeral home, and his mother-in-law is laid out there, and his wife's standing next to her, <laughs> you know. He's just, like, he's just standing there stoic like that. The husband. <laughs> the wife. <laughs> All of a sudden, her husband goes crazy, man. Starts pulling his hair out of his head. Beating the coffin, crying and screaming out like a crazy person. Man, did his wife get excited. She said, Harold, I didn't think you cared for mother like that. He said, I thought I saw her move. <laughs> that was Jack Howe's joke. I had a lovely mother-in-law, 
Things got even better when she went to heaven. No, I'm just kidding. Well, what does this got to do with the price of eggs? His mother-in-law sat over there. Her name was Madge Wallace. And she and her daughter, and she's a widow at the time, it was her house. Iron pans. You ever hear that old expression? That's what this gal was like. She and her daughter, the first lady of America, Truman's wife, the two of them were rabid anti-Semites. They hated Jews. Truman's best friend could not step across the threshold of the front doorway. Give him Hades, Harry. So what's this got to do with the price of eggs? In 1947, the United Nations votes to split Israel, split Palestine in half, give half to the Jews, half to the Arabs, right? And we know the war breaks out at midnight. I tell you all that, right? The big issue was whether or not the United States would recognize Israel's legitimacy as a nation. And there were two major groups fighting Truman for, for his favor, right? The anti-Jewish group, those were all the Wall Street people, all people, and most of the people that were in his cabinet. And then the fanatical Jews, not the, the religious Jews, not even the secular Jews. Kirk Douglas and that crowd, you know, they're under the radar. They don't even want to get involved. It's a weird study. But those crazy religious Jews with the ascetics and all, you got a lot of them in New York State. They're, they're pulling on Truman this way to endorse Israel. The other one, no, endorse Israel. Russia was planning on doing it to be the first one to get communism into Israel from the first day, right? The main man that wanted to see Harry Truman was the future president of Israel, Haim Wiseman. You hear these names in history. David Ben-Gurion was the first prime minister. That's the power position. The president is figurehead. But Haim Wiseman was 80 years old at this time, a major leader among the Jews for years because it was a big buildup to Israel's statehood, right? Truman knew Wiseman and liked him, but he, wouldn't, he decided he's not even going to see him. He always made a joke that he could never pronounce his name. C-H-A-I-M. Chaim. Pronounced <laughs> Truman couldn't say it. He called him. <laughs> a true story. Read it. It's funny. But he goes like this. He makes a decision to do this. Look. He's going to cut off both groups because he can't take the pressure. Hey, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. That's his famous. He got that on his desk, that sign. But, but all of a sudden, he couldn't take the heat. But what happens? You're not going to believe it. There's a Jewish writer named Gary Ginsburg. He wrote a book called First Friends. Now listen, the main guy fighting Truman at this time was James Forrestal. Any of you in military men remember the USS Forrestal? Named after Forrestal. He's the first, he was the last Secretary of the Navy, first Secretary of Defense under Truman's in the cabinet. Currently, he's fighting Truman behind the scenes. Truman doesn't even know it yet. Anybody remember Saving Private Marshall? I mean, Saving Private Ryan, the beginning, got General Marshall reading that letter. He was right behind Forrestal, like a little puppy, putting pressure on Truman behind the scenes. And all the cabinet. Truman called those guys the striped pants boys. You know, the Yale graduates. He's just a common man. They're driving them nuts. So guess what Eddie Jacobson decides to do? 
what I've been preaching to you about since Sunday school? There's a lost Jew did it. Most Christians can't have any boldness for God. Scared of their own stinking shadows. You know what he decides to do? He's going to go in and see his friend and try to get him to see Haim Wiseman. Haim Wiseman wants to get him to give the endorsement like in a private commitment. Truman won't see anybody, right? Now, I'm well past third base. Home plate is where the sermon ends. I'm halfway between third base and home plate. But you remember, I'm an evangelist. I, I can pick the best stuff. Sometimes the Lord asks me where I got some of the stuff I've got in my service. You understand? So this is your moment to get entertained. They got a day off here, Father's Day, the two preachers. So can I, can I bless your gizzard just for a moment there? Because you're not going to believe where I'm going. I preached this message in Branson, Missouri on Memorial Day weekend. Saturday night, I'm all done, go to sleep. Three o'clock in the morning, God woke me up, and I'm nobody special. He ought to do that with you, too, when he wants to speak to you. That's what he did with the king, woke him up three in the morning. He couldn't sleep, and he found out in the records that, that Mordecai had saved his life. Remember that? Duh. Three o'clock in the morning, the Lord woke me up, and he showed me something that was not in my message. I almost went crazy. It's the best part of the whole message. And I didn't know it until he showed it to me three in the morning. And I'm going to show it to you within just a few minutes now. And then we're going to go home and party hardy. Ready? Let me read you what this author wrote. This is he, these are his words now. Truman understood the importance of a Jewish state. Yet he was irked by the aggressive approach of Jewish leaders. Again, you've got to be in a Jewish part of the country to appreciate what I'm getting ready to say. Rabbi Abba Hillel Silver pounded his fist on Truman's desk and shouted at the president in his own office. You know those guys around in Georgia? You got to know where I'm going. I, I preach this in Georgia and they're going. Now this, this other one's even funnier. Another leader displayed wads of cash. To bribe government officials. Truman, we can take care of what we need. <laughs> Ruckman said the reason Gentiles hate Jews so much is Gentiles love money and Jews know how to make it. <laughs> they said that Jew come into a village one time and the mayor met him and said, we don't allow any Jews in our village. And the Jews said, that's why it's still a village. <laughs> when the subject of the Zionists came up in a cabinet meeting, Truman expressed his frustration. Quote, Jesus Christ couldn't please them when he was on the earth. So how could anyone expect that I could have any luck? End of quote. So how could his Jewish friend change his mind? At the encouragement of Frank Goldman, national president of B'nai B'rith, a Jewish organization, Jacobson flew to Washington without even securing an appointment beforehand. On the morning of March 13th, he traipsed up the White House driveway into the West Wing office of Matt Connolly, Truman's appointment secretary and gatekeeper, who knew Jacobson and granted him immediate entry. He wasn't an anti-Semite like the mother-in-law. Oh, come on in, Eddie, because Truman and him are like that. He just walks in. Having been friends for 45 years and having fought a war together and being partners in a store and all the hunting trips and meals together, Eddie Jacobson was one of the few people if not the only person who could get Harry Truman out of his own head. 
you know, they're so bad to be mean to me. And see the larger issue at play. Truman called himself a lightfoot Baptist because he danced, smoked, drank, cursed, played poker, and was a mason. <laughs> but he saved Baptist. But he said, they said he read his Bible through cover to cover about a dozen times while he was a teenager growing up. And he understood the importance of Israel in world affairs. Now I love this. Eddie knew of the arguments that could break the logjam and felt that only he could do it. Now here's the part that blows my mind. Ready? Secular man. Secular Jew. Not a religious Jew even. So, kind of like the story of Esther in the Old Testament. With extraordinary access to the power broker, Jacobson takes it upon himself to go in to deliver the Jews. Isn't that exactly what Esther did? I'm telling you, neighbor, I'm glad there's more exciting stuff in the world than this stupid thing right here. Smartphone, what a name. Inside the, here, here comes the drama now. I'm about two feet from home plate. Inside the Oval Office, Jacobson paused and looked his friend straight in the eyes. To Truman, the pause seemed like an eternity. Harry finally said, quote, Eddie, what in the world is wrong with you? Have you at last come to get something from me? Because you have never asked me for anything since I've been in the White House and since we've been friends as well. Isn't that a strange, beautiful truth? He could have gotten stuff for himself, but he never did. Finally, Jacobson broached the topic Truman least wanted to confront. Quote, Harry, you must see Dr. Wiseman. You must support an independent Jewish state. End of quote. And he went like that. See, right? Get you see the picture? In an instant, Truman's face hardened and his demeanor changed. Jacobson had never seen or heard Harry Truman acting this way. He appeared brusque, almost unreachable. He didn't want any dialogue on the matter, whether pertaining to a Wiseman meeting or anything remotely connected. Jacobson persisted, reminding Truman of the esteem in which he had held Wiseman, employing every argument he could think of, from the plight of the refugees to the biblical roots of a Jewish homeland. Look, Truman remained unmovable, hectoring Jacobson, about how disrespectful and mean certain Jews had been to him. So Jacobson is standing in the Oval Office ready to leave, desperately looking around the room, trying to figure out the best way to appeal to Harry's heart. I mean, he's finished. He's failed. Suddenly, he spots a bronze equestrian statue of Andrew Jackson. Preacher, I called the curator of the Truman Library and he took that picture from me, graciously sent it to me with no fees or charges, and that's the statue. You can see it in the Truman Library today. It's Andy Jackson on a horse. You see, give him Hades Harry, loved old hickory. Birds of a feather flock together. Stay with me, neighbor. I'm almost done. 
So, Jacobson invokes that love Truman had for Jackson to deliver the line that would change history forever. Quote, Harry, please see Heim Wiseman. He's my hero. My Andy Jackson. End of quote. Knowing what was behind that little statue was born of years of friendship. Nobody else could have pulled that off. When Jacobson had finished his appeal, Truman began drumming his fingers on his desk. He's sitting down with his back to why He won't even look at his friend. He starts doing this. Can you see what's going on? See the smoke coming out of his head? After what seemed like an eternity of silence, Truman swiveled his chair around and said, quote, You win, you bald-headed... I don't know what to say. Blankety-blank, son of a blankety-blank, blankety-blank. Get the pictures. Three letters involved. It's Truman, amen? You win, you bald-headed blankety-blank. Truman declared, I will see him. End of quote. Five days later, Wiseman flies in from Israel, whisked through a back door, no photography, clandestine meeting, and Truman reiterated his support for the state of Israel. Sixty-three days later, May the 15th at midnight, May 14th, midnight, clicks into May 15th, and Israel becomes a state legally at that very moment, which is 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in the U.S., Nobody knows about Truman's private meeting, his decision. They're sure he's not going to endorse Israel. Look, all the uh, reporters are outside Truman's office in Washington. Out opens the door. Out, the door opens and out walks Truman's press secretary. He says, hey, boys, I got something to read to you. Boy, there's some of them are sleeping on the floor. And they're jumping up. And, and the press secretary reads these two sentences and sends those guys into shockwaves. This government has been informed that a Jewish state has been proclaimed in Palestine and recognition has been requested by the provisional government thereof. The United States recognizes the provisional government as the de facto authority of the new state of Israel. Signed, Harry Truman, approved May 14, 1948, and preacher, the, stamp, the, date is sta the time is stamped on the document right here, 6-11. Hello, 11 minutes after the state of Israel came on the scene, the United States flag wrapped around that little wandering Jew plant, and Genesis 12.3 kicked in. That's why you got your highways all running all across America starting in the 50s. Bank of America had credit for people, and a whole standard of living in our country went like this. If you don't get anything else out of this day, would you at least go home realizing the Bible could be true? Anybody remember what happened to Haman? <laughs> Take a guess what happened to Forrestal. Truman found out what he was doing, fired his Kazutsky. What happened? Well, he went nuts. Ruckman taught us that. Mess with the book, mess with that Jew, got to mess with your brain. What do you mean he went nuts? I don't know. Mental ward, Bethesda Naval Hospital, padded cells, 14th floor, bed sheet tied to the radiator, jumping out the window. 
Bible could be true. Come on. Go. Take it off my love boat. Anybody ever hear of the USS Forrestal? The Navy's first supercarrier? Go check its history out. It went crazy. Oh, billion dollar fire, nothing to get excited about. I knew two men who served on that ship. Different men. They all said the same, both said the same thing. Constant fires, accidents, crazy stuff. It was so spooked and cursed. The ship was, they decommissioned it. Then they tried to give it away for, you know, like Norfolk, you know, for museums, right? They'd always do that. This was one of the most famous ships of the time. Nobody would take it. So what'd they do with it? Sold it to the scrapyard, a scrapyard in Houston for, take a guess how much they sold it for. No. Not a dollar. Give me another guess. How about a penny? Preacher, I have a lot of footnotes in my books. I document everything, but I messed up on when I put that in there, a penny. It was a penny, but I found out later the government paid the penny. Watch this, neighbor. They scrapped every part of the ship for scrap, right? Except the two major anchors on the ship. They spared them. You wouldn't want to guess what they did with those two anchors. How about they donated them to the USS Harry S. Truman? True story. That's the ship that rescued the American sailors three years ago when the Iranians had them. One of the top ships in the Navy. Oh, and by the way, Truman was supposed to lose the presidential election for having given that endorsement to Israel. It was so bad that in the middle of the night, going against Thomas Dewey for the White House, the Chicago Tribune came out with the headline, Dewey defeats Truman. You've all seen that picture. Here's Truman holding that picture up the next morning, the front page laughing. God delivered him in the middle of the night. And God will bless you if you do right as well. Okay, I have just slid into home plate. Look, I'm sliding now with the dust. My foot is one inch from home plate. Would you like to see what God showed me in the middle of the night just so you'd have a blessing? Because this is wilder than anything I've said so far, and it's only one Bible verse. Anybody want to see it? <laughs> hey, look, riots breaking out. You know when it's a dead invitation, nothing's happening, preacher, and all the heads are bowed, just stare at somebody's hand when nobody knows what you're doing. And stare at a hand and say, I see that hand. <laughs> some evangelists are corrupt. I'm not, but some are. All right, one verse and we'll go home. Esther chapter 3. You're not going to believe this. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Read all about it. I want to see what that Delmonico tastes like. All right, all you got to know is this. Ready? How many months in a year? You ever see those videos? I don't know. You know, these young people in the street, they don't know anything. There's 12 months in a year, yes. The Jewish calendar has 12 months like we have 12 months, right? But you know they have different names. January, February, that's not, the, right? But not only do they have different names, but their 12 months start different than when our 12 months start. Our, months, our year starts in what? January. Their year starts in April. How many of you remember reading in, in Exodus about the Passover? They, they revolved their whole world around being delivered on Passover night, right? So April is Nisan. They don't call it April. Our April is there at Nisan. But it's, but it's not their fourth month. It's their first month. Can you get this? If you get this, you're going to go out of here talking to yourself. You're going to become charismatics. I mean it. Hey, look, I'll tell you what. Let's just make one fast deal. This is New York. Can we make a quick deal behind the curtain? If you act impressed when you see this, we'll be out of here. 
if you just stare at me like they do in Kentucky, I'm 70 years old. You don't think I have 2,000 stories? Right? How many of you think you can act impressed? Raise your hand. Revival's breaking out. Okay. All kidding aside, that book is powerful. You're not going to believe this one verse. Here it is. Verse 13. We already read it before. And the letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day. The death day, they're all going to die is what? Even upon the what? Thirteenth day of the what? Twelfth month, which is the month Adar, right? Rocket scientists we've got here. If April is the first month, what's the twelfth month? Ha! Huh? What? March? Very good. Another free pen, preacher. Bonus pen round. Got it? So all those Jews are going to get wiped out on the 13th of March. Kabish? Got it right in front of your nose right there. You know God knew that. Anybody pick up on when I was reading that Jewish man's book about Truman and Jacobson going in to see his friend and securing the promise that same day? Does anybody catch it? At the encouragement of Frank Goldman, national president of B'nai B'rith, Jacobson flew to Washington without even securing an appointment beforehand. Period. Who's got more power now, Breach? For real, you or him? Okay. <laughs> Are you ready, neighbor? This, this is it. Get ready to act impressed. What day are the Jews going to die? 13th of March. On the morning of what? March 13th. March 13th. He traipsed into the White House office. There's 365 days in a year, neighbor. You know what the odds are that it was the same day? One out of 365. God knows all that stuff. He's got it all set up. He's going to save those Jews. With another Jew going into another Gentile power broker, you're going to save him on the 13th of March. I'm all done. Brother Caleb, why don't you come? And if anybody needs to make some mileage with the Lord today, you might want to think about your boldness with the Lord. You close that door on your prayer closet like Jesus told you to do. What goes on behind that door between you and God? Your loved ones may need you to be bold for them. Step up your prayer life. Get some boldness going. Get that sin out of your life so you can act that way with the Lord.